Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, last week, we had the uh, Bernie Bush Festival, which is actually early for when we normally have it. We have it in the fall, and it's kind of our fall festival. We don't always have it at the same time that uh, uh, your ancient Jewish feast of uh, tabernacles took place because we live in the high mountains and people have to sometimes drive a long way, like uh, driving all the way back across the mountains to New York. And if the uh, fall festival of the Jews falls late in the season, you might not make it. So we've moved it around a little bit and uh, hopefully we now have uh, a place to have bigger festivals and we're uh, have people that are in the network that are learning how to put on larger festivals. And so if you want to become a part of putting on a larger festival out here in the high deserts and, uh, and learning more about the kingdom and what the Israelites were doing and what the early church was doing and meet other people that are willing to find out the truth and uh, discover the logos, which will be part of the topic of today. And, uh, you you can join our network at preparingyou.com or hisholychurch.org or hisholychurch.net and uh, uh, start making contact, connections with other people because that was something that Christ commanded us to do. Uh, we were not to forsake the gathering together. We were to uh, actually sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. That's what the early church did. That's how the early church survived the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And as we look out in the world today, we see lots of that history of the Roman Empire repeating itself, which we've discussed time and time again in uh, our different broadcasts, our podcasts. We have thousand or more broadcasts out there and uh, under Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory. There's a lot of people that use uh, Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, it, you know, I was led to use this phrase, Keys of the Kingdom, and uh, there was somebody in our network that was uh, asking about that. And I said, well, uh, there was a movie I saw once that kind of, uh, you know, I can remember. Because I think in pictures rather than words. I could remember the movie and it stuck in my mind. And it came up when he asked the question. But I could not remember the name of the movie. And uh, I could tell him who was in it and who was the co-stars. <laughs> and what it was about, but I couldn't remember the name of the movie, but I thought of the movie when he asked the question about Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, for the life of me, I could not remember the name, which is common for me. It's part of my dyslexia, uh, which is part of my gift, whatever gift God often God gives us weaknesses so that they can become strengths, and strengths so that they can become weaknesses. Uh Anyway, it ended up the name of the movie was Keys of the Kingdom. And uh, it's with Gregory Peck. And, uh, uh, of course, you want to look for Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory, not Gregory Peck. But with that uh, search, in whatever podcast you use, you can access all of our uh, broadcasts. We put them all up for free. 
and uh, we cover almost every subject. We're going through the old prophets. We'll be going through the gospels. And we may go through uh, some of the epistles again. We've already got them up at preparing you with the audios that you can use for a Bible study. Like if you wanted to study uh, Corinthians or Romans, uh, we have uh, the copy of it from the King James Bible at preparing you. We have links to the different words that Paul uses or or Peter uses or uh, whoever is writing the epistle is using. So you can find out what word is actually in the original text. That's sometimes very important. Not because you couldn't understand the Bible without those, but you cannot understand the Bible without the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people think they're listening to the Holy Spirit and they're actually listening to something other than the Holy Spirit that disguises itself as the Holy Spirit, and they are under a strong delusion. They, Of course, almost nobody under a strong delusion realizes they're under a strong delusion. That's the nature of a delusion, is that you do not realize that you're under that strong delusion at the time you're under that strong delusion. <laughs> so, what they're... There's three words that we find in the Greek language that are often associated with with each other. And one is logos, which we see in John and in and uh the first epistle of John, and we we see throughout the Bible. And then there is another word pathos and another word ethos. And they are all somewhat associated but all very different words. But they are describing different ways of looking at the world and acting in the world. Pathos is about emotion. Ethos is often about reputation, like character of somebody. Like if someone were to speak to you, and we'll talk about this in greater depth, uh, and they address you with a pathos presentation, and their discussion with you, and their conversation with you, or their interaction with you. They're going to be dealing with your emotions. They're going to be appealing to your emotions. And if they're talking to you with the concept of ethos as the center point of their conversation with you, then they're talking to you as if they were a man of authority, and that they were a man of reputation, a man you could trust. Or a woman that you could trust. We don't want to be sexist about this. And Logos, though, is about right reason. It's about a correct viewpoint. Not not an opinion. Not an emotional opinion or an opinion based on authority. But actually the correct reality before you. Logos has to do with the reality that exists beyond your opinion, beyond your emotions, beyond your reputation. And it is not affected by that. It is what is. And of course, we've talked about this recently in broadcasts that the I am, when God, what Moses wants God to identify himself in what we imagine to be a burning bush, because he didn't actually, when he got up close, he realized he was not looking at a burning bush. 
uh, and the reason he got up close to this light out there on the desert that he could see that he thought was a burning bush because out there on that desert there's a phenomenon that occurs during very hot and dry periods where bushes would suddenly burst into flames with spontaneous combustion. They would burn for a very short period of time and they would go out. But he saw this light out on the desert, which we see all the time out here on the desert, but it's usually somebody's car headlights or uh, like occasionally there'll be somebody bass fishing down at the lake <laughs> and they, they set up lights and we say, what's that light over there? And well, it's it's one of those lights. But he's out in the desert many years ago where there wouldn't be car lights and there wouldn't be house lights and yard lights and bass lights. And he saw a light that did not consume. In other words, it did not burn up. It it stayed bright out there in the desert. And he went out to see it. And then, of course, the only light he would expect to see would be a burning bush because there was nobody over there. There was a, And when he got there, he found this light that was burning. That he thought originally was a burning bush, but now we got artists painting pictures of burning bushes, and and there's this flame of a bush, and it's all around it, and he's talking to this burning bush. <laughs> but that's not what he was really looking at, because we know later on there was this light that they saw at night hovering over the encampment of the Israelites, but during the day it didn't look like a light. It looked like a column of smoke or something long like a column. But it was up there floating in the air like a cloud in the sky. But it wasn't a cloud. It was something else. And they were following this or it was following them when they were in the wilderness. And there were times when Moses went up on a hill and and it came to them and turned sideways. And he spoke to somebody inside this thing that was floating in the air. (laughs) And when I first went to what we call the Agreement Conference in Colorado many years ago, you know, I'd already been writing. I'd already discovered a great many of these things that uh, that uh, contradicted what I had learned in the seminary uh, or, or filled in the blanks of what they were trying to teach me in the seminary. That uh, there was a fellow there that talked about that what, what uh, Moses was talking to was evil. And uh, and he was trying to prove that it was evil that w- and it was creating this evil system. And it was very interesting to listen to his logos, which was his logic. But that isn't the real logos, in my opinion. And you're just going to have to find out what the real logos is, because I can tell you what I believe, but that immediately is subject to your interpretation of what you think I am saying. Now, I told somebody just seconds before I went on the air that I would mention them on the broadcast today. And uh, the his name is McDowell, I guess, or something. I can't remember the first name, but uh, he's on Facebook. And I recently commented on a video that's floating around. And you, you can find out where the video is by going to preparing you. And, and I have it under de-escalation, the term de-escalation. So you type in in the search engine de-escalation and you'll find the article that I've been putting there. And it's about a video of a woman who gets stopped for supposedly a tail light that is broken. 
or at least it has some damage to it. Everybody thinks the taillight is out, but actually we find out if you watch the whole video, the taillight actually works. It's just some of the red plastic is broken. And she gets stopped and she gets ticketed and it eventually leads to an arrest and tasing the old woman and everything. And I I listened to the opinions of people because that was put up on American Voice or something on Facebook. And people were saying she got what she deserved and, you know, she was terrible and she was a Karen and all this stuff. Of course, almost everybody who makes these assumptions did not watch the whole video. And they have very limited understanding of the law. They have no comprehension of the Constitution. But the reality is when they watch just part of the video, that puts them at a decided disadvantage because they don't see everything that transpired. And they begin to assume things transpired. They know there was a clip there. They assume that certain things happened. That did not happen. But even some of them, when they watch the whole video, they fill in blanks and they make assumptions about what they hear. And they make those assumptions about what they hear because they, well, for a lot of reasons, everybody's different, so there'll be a lot of reasons. But they will fill in the blanks of what they think they're hearing based on their personal prejudices, based on their pathos. And sometimes based on their ethos, because some people want to believe the cops are in the right all the time. And of course, there's, we know lately there's been a great deal in the media about cops being wrong all the time. That's the defund the police and, you know, cops are supposedly a threat to the black community and they, they need to get rid of the police in order to make black people safe again. And in reality, what they're actually doing is endangering black poli- uh, police uh, excuse me they're in danger they're doing all of that they're endangering the black community because the police are less likely to go in there especially when they have limited resources and 99% of all the people killed in the black community are killed by other blacks they're not killed by the police very very few people are killed by the police as a matter of fact the numbers actually show you're more likely to be killed as a white man, statistically speaking, by the police than by the black men are likely to be killed. Very few unarmed black men, and even many of those unarmed black men are killed for a variety of reasons. Very, But if somebody does, and cops make mistakes, it's a very dangerous job. And we see, and I actually have a video on the page showing where a white man had to arrest several black people. <laughs> First, he was only going to arrest one black person. And uh, he acted uh, amazing against very difficult situation. And uh, when it was v- reviewed, his uh, police chief said that uh, he should actually get a, a reward for being the uh, police officer of the month kind of, or of the year because he did such a remarkable job. So... I put it up there to show the contrast between these two things, but I've been slowly adding to the page as I had this conversation with hundreds of people on Facebook who did not like my original conjecture that that police officer should have been fired because they immediately come to the defense of the police officer because he's a police officer. That's ethos. Because he's wearing a uniform and a badge, you give more credence to what he does 
then maybe he should receive. So you have pathos, the emotional appeal, ethos, the appeal to, you know, the office of the person. That's, you know, it says in the Bible that God is no respecter of persons. That would be no respecter of ethos. (laughs) He doesn't care about, you know, the badge and the uniform. He cares about the truth. And logos is about the truth. It's about actually everything that is involved in a particular situation, whether it's a burning bush out on the desert, which is not actually a burning bush, but some sort of thing that looks like a column of smoke in the daytime and uh, glows at night like a fire, like a pillar of fire. I mean, back there, you know, how would you describe a pillar that glows at night in the sky, <laughs> you know, floating above your encampment back, you know, a thousand year, more years before Christ. Well, how would you describe it? And you could describe it like, now, I don't know what it was. I wasn't there. But I can look at the language and look at what they're saying and say that it, well, it wasn't a burning bush floating in the sky. <laughs> But you, you'll have to come to your own conclusion on, based on limited information. But whatever it was, it was what it was. It, it wasn't what your opinion of it is. And the same thing with this situation with the woman. And, and we, I may do a whole show on that someday, but you can go and take a look at it and, and see how you formulate your opinion looking at the clip and then looking at the whole video and then reading the context and finding out that the officer was actually in the wrong. Now, you have to remember, originally, I, I was trained to be a police officer. I was going to become a police officer and decided not to become a police officer. I, I personally believe that George Floyd killed himself and that the police officer, none of the police officers should have been arrested or go to jail. Uh, so I actually am siding most often with the police, but in this case, with that police officer, he was in the wrong. I, I don't think he should go to jail. I think he probably should be fired. Possibly even his police chief should be replaced. But I don't have all the facts. But he, I do have enough of the facts to come to the very clear Logos conclusion that he was... In the wrong. Now, I'm not saying she wasn't in the wrong too. But if I was the judge of that case, and we were actually in a legal system set up by the Constitution of the United States as it was originally intended, not equity, which was also provided for in the Constitution through the Judiciary Act of 1789, I would have dismissed all charges against her, dismissed the fine against her, and reprimanded the police officer, and recommended that he go, recommended that he go back to training. Now you can go look that up, but that's not what the topic of today is, but I said I would mention it, because it's very important, in order to get to the logos, whatever the logos is, that we actually look at all the facts, all the information, well, that's almost impossible to look at all the facts and all the information. Because we, 
if you look at the whole video, you're only seeing what the video is capturing. If you if you were actually there, you're only looking at what you actually see and observe. Those are all finite things. But if you're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're not going to figure it all out based on your own intellect, your own six or five senses. <laughs> Six senses. Uh, are there six senses? Was there five? Was there six? Well, of course, there, there's supposedly a sixth sense. And of course, from my point of view, there is there is a thing called revelation. And revelation comes to us through the tree of life. Through the Holy Spirit. And you're only going to understand the Bible if you read it with the Holy Spirit. And we talk a great deal about how you can learn to do that. But you can only learn to do, because the Holy Spirit lists us where it wills, you have to do something else so that the Holy Spirit will guide you. And that means you probably need to put down your pathos (laughs) and your ethos and let the Holy Spirit guide you to your logos. So anyway, one of the things in in my studies and putting things together since the Burning Bush Festival and... uh, and if, if you want to come to the next ones and you want to make them a bigger event, like I say, join the network and start doing what Christ said for a change because most people aren't doing that. Most people are not doing what the early church, most of the people calling themselves the church are not doing what the early church did. And we will touch upon that uh, today also as we start to get into Logos in order to prepare us to get into First John and uh, the Gospel of John, which will be part of uh, upcoming studies. I really wanted to get into Matthew first because it comes first in the Bible, but we may do some jumping around because, and that shouldn't be a problem, because all the Gospels, all the Epistles, all the Prophets should be in agreement. And that's one of the things that, you know, was almost shocking, but actually relieving to me, when I discover it, and we should know it just automatically by reading the text of the New Testament, Moses and Jesus the Christ were in agreement. They were also in, in agreement with prophets like Elijah. They were not preaching different things. We, we're, we're led to believe by modern religionists that somehow the New Testament was completely different, like there was a new God in town, <laughs> and the old God was put away, and the new God was now in place. The old law, the old Ten Commandments were put away, but the new law doesn't include the Ten Commandments. I mean, the, it actually gets that crazy. But the reality is, the Ten Commandments were not done away with. And the Ten Commandments weren't even laws. The Ten Commandments were an expression, statements, expressing the Logos, what the Logos is. And so it's very important to find out what the Logos is in order to understand the whole Bible. So we'll be back in a moment to find out what's the Logos. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So to make full circle of our little rabbit trail of the burning bush... 
the burning bush that Moses saw out on, on the desert. We live out on the desert. We don't usually see burning bushes. We do see lights on the desert, but we, uh, we're not, it's usually not dry enough to have spontaneous combustion out there and have those burning bushes that were so common at the time of Moses. Uh, the reality is to make that full circle of that burning bush when Moses was asking, Whatever it was that he was asking, this light on the desert. Who shall I say sent me to go set the captive free in Egypt? That's what he was, that was his assignment, to go set the captive free in the bondage of Egypt. He said, who shall I say send me? Well, you know, it's been a contention of the Israelites from the beginning and the the Pentateuch, etc., that God has no name. He's known by many things, but titles, but he has no name. I mean, who named him? But he says, I am that I am. And of course, that is what the Logos is. The Logos is what is. And of course, when Jesus says, I am the I am, he's saying, I am, the I am is what is. That's what he's saying. And so, in order to understand the Logos, you have to be willing to admit the truth of what is. In order to know what is, you have to know all of what is because everything is interconnected. And in order to make our Bible studies connected to reality that you live in today, and, and that's one of the big problems with people who study the Bible, is that their heads are in the clouds. The Israelites are on the ground. Something else was up there in the clouds. But they were down on the ground. So they had to translate what is into their day-to-day life. And they had to do it in a way so that they would be free souls under God. If they weren't free souls under God in the bondage of Egypt, they belonged to the Pharaoh. They didn't belong to God. In a roundabout sort of way, they did because everything belongs to God. But... God allows us to make covenants and contracts where we won't belong to him anymore. We'll belong to something else. God is a God of cause and effect, but God is also a God of contract and agreement. The Israelites were in the bondage of Egypt. And what was the bondage of Egypt? Now, that, that we say that and we say, well, yeah, that's when they were all slaves. And I saw the movie, you know, where they people were pulling stones and they were whipping them to make them pull the stones harder and... And, and they were sealing people up inside the stones, you know, and all that stuff. Well, she's just old woman. We're just going to seal her in. The... I saw that movie, <laughs> The Ten Commandments, with Moses, Charles Heston. But, no, that's not what it was. The bondage of Egypt meant that just 20% of your labor belonged to the government. That when you work, 20% of the value of your labor, 20% of your laboring day went to the government. That was the bondage of Egypt. You didn't own, you didn't have a lawful title to any gold in the bondage of Egypt, which was portable wealth in those days. That's a representation of portable wealth. I mean, if you had a chariot, you probably only had a legal title to your chariot too. You didn't actually own it. The government owned it. (laughs) Which is another whole topic we cover in other shows. And, and you could leave, but you had to cross the desert and get out of the jurisdiction of Egypt. And, and they might want to catch you because you were in debt. 
You were collateral for debt. Where, what debt? Well, see, they ran out of food during a famine. There was kind of a, you know, a dust bowl. And they ran out of food and they went to the government to get free food. Government said, yeah, we'll give you free food, but you're going to owe us 20% of your labor. And they said, okay, good deal. And they signed up and their children were subject to this debt. And for 400 years they were in the bondage of Egypt, but Moses came to set them free from that bondage of Egypt. God says in Deuteronomy, according to what it says in the book, that we were never to do anything to go back to that bondage of Egypt. If we created a constitution, we were actually to write down in that constitution and whoever our priests were in our society, whatever a priest is, which we discuss also, most people don't understand what a priest is, they're supposed to read that constitution to your leaders every day. And, and one of the items is that that... that Leader could do nothing to return you to the people, to the people, to the bondage of Egypt, you know, where they, 20% of their labor belonged to the government. So if you're in a government where 20% of your labor belongs to the government, if you're in a society, a, a constitutional order or system of government, if, if your, your world says that 20% or more of your labor belongs to the government, you're back in the bondage of Egypt again, where God said never to go. And I know, personally, this is my personal opinion, Jesus did not come to make you, to return you to the bondage of Egypt. He came to set the captive free. And one of the reasons he was setting the captive free is because all the people were going back into the bondage of Egypt again under the governmental system of Herod, and the Pharisees. If you read our article on baptism and listen to the audios that we have connected to that, you'll understand that that's what was going on at that time. And the reason it was going on at that time is because Caesar, Augustus Caesar, was returning people to the bondage of Egypt as well through his system, through his system of welfare, which is the table of the king. This serves the dainties of the king. serves the benefits of the king. Proverbs tells you about the dainties of the king. And what you should do if you have an appetite for the dainties of the king is that you're to put a knife to your throat. You have an article. Look up the word dainties at Preparing You and you'll read that article showing you exactly what it says. And the reason it says that in Proverbs is the same reason that Paul brings it up in Romans. That their table, quoting David, who said, their table, which should have been for your welfare, is a snare. Why? Because the dainties of that table are deceitful meats. It's all connected. They're all, all the prophets talk about this. All the New Testament, Old Testament talk about this. James talks about it. Peter talks about covetous practices, making you merchandise again. Possessions, human resources. And people read the Bible and they don't catch it. They don't see it. Just like people see the video of the tail like granny that you can read about at de-escalation at Preparing You. They don't see it. They see the video. They see the short video. They see the long video. And they don't see it. Their eyes, it's like they live in darkness. 
Well, they do. They sit in darkness. They can't see it. They do not have reason in their in their brains. Like I said, I was about to become a police officer in Minneapolis, uh, or one of the suburbs of Minneapolis originally. I was, you know, I had already arrested people and stuff like that, but uh, I I did not ever become a full time cop uh, for a municipality. Because of the violent incidences that I dealt with, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with the violence, but I had a problem with all the people on the street did not support what was right. They actually, they, they were cowards. And I thought, why should I risk my life saving cowards? And I, I left the police work and came out here to the desert. (laughs) Uh, I did, I came out here once and then I went back and then I came out again and and it's kind of like, uh, most people don't realize that Abraham, when he left, he actually went back and forth several times. He didn't just leave one day and never came back. But he eventually, when he left and stayed gone, he left with many souls. So, what was he doing? Well, he was he was doing what we all should be doing, what Moses did, what Jesus was telling the early church to do, and most people don't get it. They don't see it because we again we again sit in darkness. So anyway, in Minneapolis, which I just heard the other day has become the number one carjacking uh, municipality in the world. <laughs> That's that's a, that's a pretty amazing statistic. More people have their cars hijacked from them a lot of times when they're driving them or maybe when they just stop for a second. Sometimes with their children strapped in the back seat, uh, often at gunpoint. And you wonder why. Well, maybe because they defunded the police, but that isn't the only reason. It's because, actually, when they do a statistics of who, who's doing this, they're all from, they're all young people from fatherless homes. So it's the lack of fathers in the homes that is causing carjackings? Well, this is part of seeking out the logos is you have to look at all aspects. You know, a lot of the carjackers are black. But most of the fatherless homes are black. But, I mean, the whites are catching up and even the Asians are catching up on that. And why is that? Why are they homeless? You have to go back again. Like we talked about codification of laws uh, and draconians in a previous show, one of the more recent shows, uh, which was the codification of laws under Dracon uh, in Athens. And, and we asked the question, well, what happened? What was happening in Athens before the people elected Dracon to be their first legislator who was able to sign the codification of laws. And and then, is it a good idea to codify laws? And how should we run society if we don't codify laws? And we touched on that, and you could go into that in depth. What it, this amounts to is that finding, seeking the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdoms of the world is a hundred thousand piece puzzle. Maybe a million piece puzzle. I don't know. But the more pieces of the puzzle you fit together, the clearer the picture becomes. 
But they all have to fit together in order for that last piece to fall into place. Because if you got one piece in the wrong place, the last piece won't fit either. So, uh, or you could do like my uh, brother-in-law did. He would hide one piece of a puzzle, you know, like in his pocket. So he would always get the last piece in the puzzle. (laughs) So we don't hide anything here at the kingdom of God. <laughs> at his holy church we we tell you everything so to understand why Minneapolis has become this car hijacking you need to understand that it really goes back to the welfare system of that government in Minneapolis that creates all those fatherless families because that's where it's coming from you know LBJ He's a part of the puzzle. But LBJ couldn't have come about if there hadn't been an FDR. FDR set things in motion, but FDR wouldn't have come about if there hadn't have been a Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> so, everything, in a cause and effect universe, you can always take it back another step. And a lot of people who are going to church, they'll say, well, I'm, I'm a sinner because I didn't read the Ten Commandments. I didn't go to church. I didn't say a prayer or I didn't... You know, I didn't accept the Lord Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. Well, the reality is, you know, that even sin itself, what we call sin, a lot of times is just a recorded event that comes about because we sin in darkness. We sin in darkness because we hate the light. Because the light's all around us. But if we close our eyes to the light, we close our eyes to the truth, then we will not find the Logos. We will find a Jesus, but not the Jesus. We will not find the I am, we will find I think. I believe. And then what is belief? Is belief just what you think? According to the Greek language, if you say you have faith, That is a belief that alters your very being. It isn't just a thought. It isn't just what you think. Because what you think may be the result of pathos, emotion. What you think may be the result of ethos. You know, that you put somebody up on a pedestal. All the the preachers who love to sit, uh, you know, behind the podium or stand behind the podium and speak to the people from an elevated position which I I per, personally abhor, abhor, although I had to do it because that was where the microphone was and you couldn't get it loose from the stand. <laughs> but uh, and, but I, I can be forgiving of people putting me out there. <laughs> but you don't want to be speaking from the pedestal because the pedestal is the ethos where you're giving more credence to what I say because I sit in this position or stand in this position. All those pathos and ethos are keeping you from the logos. They interfere, just like welfare interferes with the natural family. If you want to fix the problem in America today, if you want to make America great today, you have to end all social welfare by the state. Put an absolute end to it. But now how would you do that? You do that by decree. Who, who's making that decree? Well, the, the beautiful thing is you don't have to decree it for everybody else. You just have to decree it for yourself. 
And really, that's the only one you have a right to decree it for, is yourself. But if you're going to end all social welfare by the governments of the world that have brought you back into the bondage of Egypt, what are you going to do to fill that vacuum? Because that has come about because of a vacuum created previously. Everything cause and effect. So you got to go back another step. Well, the step you go back to is the church stop being the social welfare of the people. Well, how can the church be the social welfare of the people? Because they certainly, it certainly was in the days of Acts. We see that, the, you know, there, there's a dearth in the land and the church, Paul and Barnabas, take relief to the area where there's this dearth, there's this shortage of food, where there's this economic and, and, and famine breakdown in society. That's the church taking aid there. Where did they get the money to do that? Where did they get the supplies to do that? Well, it was the people who were casting their bread upon the waters, who were donating in charity. Uh, they looked out amongst themselves, and those who had extra shared with those that didn't have enough. And they did it through the church, through free will offerings. Because the church could not tax the people at the church has never, ever, ever taxed the people. If your church has been a part of a taxation system, and I can show you in history where there's been things calling itself the church, they're actually getting funds from men who tax the people. Which was the whole reason Lady Godiva's story has survived. That. Well, the whole reason Lady Godiva's story is because somebody said that she stripped naked and rode to the town on a horse naked (laughs) and artists love to paint that picture but of course all of us who have read the free church report know that she never stripped naked and rode through the town (laughs) but she her objection to the government taxing the people to provide social welfare through the church was the point that she brought up with her husband and they both agreed that that would be doom for society when we started to do that. Where welfare was now provided by men who exercise authority one over the other. They knew that. Because Jesus said that. Said to the church, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but call themselves benefactors. Provide welfare for the people. The church was never to do that. But yet... At the time of Lady Godiva, the king was imposing a tax to do just that. We're going to exercise authority, force the people to contribute, to provide money to the church, to provide social welfare for the people. Today, we just skip the thing calling itself the church. And you go to most churches and you need, you know, you lost your home, you lost your job, they send you to the government, to the men who exercise authority for the dainties of the king, the dainties of the rulers, for to eat at the table of men who exercise authority, which Paul says is a snare in the New Testament, and David says is a snare in the Old Testament. And all the apostles warn you against, and all the prophets warn you against. And so what's happened now, because people go, their religion is not the pure religion that James talks about. 
but it's the public religion we were not to be partakers of. What's happened is that the United States federal government has become the largest employer in the world. Everybody's worried about the open borders and you're going to bring in all these people who are going to vote Democrat. and Oh, this is such a great danger. Well, they just doubled the size of the IRS in a bill. They're in the process of doubling it. So that it's because the armed IRS agents are going to exceed that of the armies of many countries in Europe. <laughs> so, but all those employees, all those federal employees and all the other federal employees and all the bureaucrats and the paper shufflers, etc., are any of them going to vote for a candidate who wants to decrease government? Is any of these people going to vote? To end social welfare through men who exercise authority? No, that's not, that's not going to happen. You have to be a little realistic. But you can end it. For you. But if you're going to do that, you need to have something in place. And of course, that's what Christ was doing. That's why he called out some men to be the ecclesia. That's what ecclesia is, is the called out. We just had a show where we talked about this. Some home churchers think that ecclesia just means assembly. And we went through step by step. You can go to our page on ecclesia preparing you and show you that no, ecclesia never just meant an assembly. It's not just where two or more gather together. That's not. That's not the ecclesia. The ecclesia is a group for a particular purpose. But you, we don't want to get off on that tangent because we're trying to get to understanding what the Logos is. But the Logos would include the true definition of Ecclesia. Because the Logos is what is true. It's what, it is what the Greeks called right reason. And, and the Chinese called Tao. <laughs> it's been around for a long time. You know, everybody talks about the age of reason. If I mention the age of reason, you're going to think, oh, that's back in, you know, 1600s, age of reason. No, the time of Christ was the age of reason because it was the age of logos. But wherever you have the truth, you also have the lie. It's going to be there, you know, where you have fake news, fake good news. Where you have the logos, you're going to have fake logos. Because Logos wasn't a term just for politicians, I mean, just for philosophers and theologians. It was also a term for politicians. You'll find the word Logos in the Justinian Codes. And, you know, as the Justinian Codes expanded, it included the fact that you could go to the Ecclesia and be safe from prosecution. Because they still remember, they still knew the Ecclesia was not of the constitutional order and system of the codified laws of the Justinian Codes. It was outside, it was called out of that constitutional system. It was separate. People don't know that now. And of course, the modern church is certainly not separate if, if it's a 501c3 incorporation of the state it's certainly not separate so the point is is this word logos found in the codes recognize the separateness of the ecclesia they actually had an id that 
could be issued by the church. And the codes refer to that ID as the Logos. Now, I think it's an improper use of the term, but they applied it there to show you how this, because the ecclesia was this outside, separate, even in today's Black's Law Dictionary, the church is defined as established by Jesus Christ and one form of government. And see, if you want out of the welfare system of the world, you, as congregants, need to form the welfare system of Christ. Welfare system of Christ doesn't operate with forced offerings, but free will offerings. Major distinction. Changes the whole course of society. But we'll have to study that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another brief break. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, anyway, we were looking at this word logos. And uh, in order to understand the logos, we have to understand everything. Because the logos is right reason. And you cannot reason if you don't have a full deck. If you do not have all the cards, you can't play the game right. So, it's absolutely essential that you find out what words mean and where they fit in history and what's being said. And when they translate logos into the word word, they're not necessarily wrong, but it may be somewhat deceptive to do so because there's another Greek word, rima, that also means word. And uh, it's very different. Just like we've shown many times that there's at least four or five different words that are found in the Greek language in the New Testament that are all translated world. Sometimes. Except for they do not mean the same thing at all. You know, one of the words is means inhabited places. Another one means age and sometimes translated as age. And uh, another one, almost none of them actually means planet. Uh, there's another word that could be translated world. Uh, there's actually two other words I can think of that could be translated world. Uh, one has to do with the earth. And that would kind of be planet. But the other one has to do with, uh, and, and is best translated world according to Greek scholars, but is never translated world in the New Testament, but it is translated heaven. And of course, the word that they translate heaven could mean just the world from the sky above to the center of the earth. That's what it means. Uh, but it could also mean, which is why Paul sometimes refers to another heaven, you know, like third heaven, a heaven beyond the sky above. Uh, which is another interesting concept that we could go into for hours and hours. <laughs> What's what Paul talking about? But anyway, the the reason that we bring up the fact that there is another word that can mean uh, word in the Greek is because logos means something way more than just word. That it it means right reason. In order to have right reason, you need to have all the facts. And we just showed you, you know, I mean, you can look it up on our page on logos, and that page is going to be expanding as I add more to it. I mean, I've written more about it in other books, but then I'll take little little pieces out of those books, you know, like the idea that Logos was an actual ID. There was a reference to an identification uh, that was issued in Roman times to identify people of the Ecclesia 
so that they could get free passage through different gates of different cities throughout the Roman Empire. And why this was important is because the church was actually delivering sometimes shipments of grain to be redistributed to the needy of society. And that was untaxable by the Roman Empire. They could not tax it. That had been the law since way back in the days of Augustus, who was literally the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And, I mean, if you wanted to look it up, it's book one, title 12 of the Roman Codes. And, and we'll give you, and we, I have references to that on the page, and I may give you more as time goes on. But this is about the Logos. But there's so much about the Logos, because it's such an, ex, because it, it's actually what is. You know, recently we've talked to you about the fact that the angel says that Jesus will be called the Son of God. And he certainly was called the Son of God. But at that time, Augustus Caesar was already called the Son of God. So if you knew that, and Mary undoubtedly knew that, that she's being told that Jesus is going to be called the Son of God instead of Augustus Caesar. That's because she heard it in the context of what she knew at that time. As everybody knew. I mean, you know, this was well known at that time. That Caesar was not only called the Son of God, he was called the Savior of the people. The Sotor. Jesus would be called the Sotor. And, you know, I, I recently was looking at a book that was written by, uh, i probably get his name wrong. Uh, it's like Atwill, you know, Atwill's book, but, uh, Voltaire, uh, whatever his name is, I can't remember. I, I, again, I'm bad at names, okay? <laughs> I can't, but I understand principles by the grace of God, which I hope keeps coming to me as I share them freely with you. But anyway, this idea of, uh, you know, the similarities between Augustus and Jesus. And they're saying, well, the, you know, some people actually go so far as to say there was no Jesus, that they're actually talking about Augustus and all this kind of stuff. And that it, it just gets insane as to their conclusion. I absolutely agree that in the New Testament, they are using phrases that are correlating the two, Augustus and Jesus, because they were both called Son of God, they were both called Saviors, they both offered systems of social welfare to the people. What amazes me is these guys who study this in such great detail don't recognize the difference between the social welfare system of Jesus Christ and the social welfare system of Augustus Caesar or Herod. Because Herod had a system like this too. Both for the Jews and non-Jews who lived in Judea. Non-Jews went to the temple of Romeos. Uh, of, excuse me, the temple of Roma. The, uh, the Jews went to the temple that Herod built. Jesus wasn't impressed by either one of them. He wanted people to have a temple built without hands. A temple without a central treasury. Where thieves and robbers can come in and steal all your wealth. Which they're doing right now before your very eyes with 
a, a tax called inflation. And somebody, somebody in our network just pointed out the Pope has warned that all the churches of under the Vatican need to move all their money from local banks to the Vatican Bank <laughs> before September. So does he know something about an October surprise? Well, I'm not trying to frighten anybody because we don't operate by fear. We operate by love. That's, that's, that's a commandment of Christ. It's not to fear not. You know, I, like I pointed out, Prager, you just did a video fairly recently where he's pointing out that, uh, FDR said fear not. You know, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Well, you know, the great reset people, they want you to be afraid. <laughs> They operate by fear. We're supposed to operate by faith, hope, and charity. And if you live by charity and hope, you would be nurturing your faith. But today, most Christians live by force and fear. And they nurture fealty, which is why they've all gone back into the bondage of Egypt. If you want to be set free from the bondage of Egypt, you have to start living your life based on charity, which is love, and hope that others will love you back. And your investment in your neighbor when he has true need is your investment in the kingdom. It's not in a treasury. It's in creating the social bonds, which Dr. Malone says that we need to recreate. And we do need, he's right about that. We need to recreate them because we spent the last hundred years destroying the social bonds of a free society by replacing our systems of charity that Alexis Tocqueville writes about in his, you know, Democracy in America, where our public schools were funded mostly by charity, not by taxation. That even our prisons were funded by charity. Our hospitals were funded by charity. Our higher education was funded by charity. You didn't need the student loan to get a college education at Harvard or Princeton. We don't know that anymore. Because that knowledge has been removed and we, we write articles, schools as tools. that show you that people have been, America has been under attack for a hundred years. The values of America have been under assault for a hundred years. So that you don't know history. You don't know, you go to Bible school not to learn what the Bible really says, but what they want you to think it says. Because they go and study it and they don't realize there's something wrong about coveting your neighbor's goods through men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Even though Christ is explicit in stating that the church is not to be that way. The church literally collects not a tax but a tithe. Now a tithe is what somebody chooses to contribute. You can say, oh, it's 10% of everything you earn. Well, maybe. You can read our articles on tithing. We won't get into that right now. But they don't tax people like the king wanted to do at the time of Lady Godiva. 
which we have a picture of Lady Godiva on the cover of the Free Church Report. So you can go look that up at Preparing You or at HisHolyChurch.org and you get to see the picture of Lady Godiva on the front of the Free Church Report. But uh, I hope you won't be disappointed in the picture because I picked that picture out <laughs> specifically <laughs> to go on. Actually, somebody else picked it out, brought it to my attention, and I said, yeah. I'll have some of that. So we put that on the picture of the, on the front of the free church report. But like I said, I hope you won't be disappointed when you see the picture. <laughs> but anyway, the reality is that we need to know the whole truth. And the whole truth sometimes hurts if we are not willing to see the whole truth as it was and as it is. And so, we're giving you bits and pieces of this so that you can get used to the idea that Logos is reason. That in ancient Greek philosophy and is the controlling principle of the universe. That's the way it was defined by the Greeks. And, and the way it was defined by uh, even Aristotle who used the word. So, we need to understand what the word meant at the time it was used by the early church, by John. In the beginning was the word. The Logos. And and the word was with God. And the word was God. And of course we've explained that. I have an opinion of reality. You have an opinion of reality. But God's opinion by the nature of God is reality. Today, people deny reality. You have your truth, I have my truth, etc., etc. Well, there is only the truth. You have an opinion, but your opinion doesn't alter the truth. You may think you're a woman when you're actually a man, but you're still actually a man. You can dress up like a woman, you can have cosmetic surgery, you can mutilate your your physical nature as a man, but you're still a man. You can take hormone blockers to change, try to change what you are, but you're still what you are. You're just a mutilated man. And I don't want to support that delusion. Now, that's in the news this day and age, you know, where supposedly you can change reality by your opinion. Which, of course, is what witchcraft has always been. An attempt to change the reality of things with your opinion. And they do it by altering the opinion of others like Macbeth. Macbeth hears from these witches. Double trouble, boil and bubble. I paraphrase that a little bit. They hung out there a scenario that Macbeth wanted to believe and Mrs. Macbeth wanted to believe. (laughs) that actually brought about the destruction of Macbeth. But the way he interpreted what they said, that it would bring about his success. And in, in some ways, it brought about his success, but it also brought about his destruction. Evil works that way all the time. Which is why you can also take this idea of pathos, ethos, and logos... And correlate that with uh, the story of 
Julius Caesar. You know, Julius Caesar's name wasn't Julius or Caesar. <laughs> it was Gaius. Gaius was his name. Julius is his, uh, that's his clan. He was a member of the Julius clan. And Caesar was his family name. His name was Gaius. You never hear Gaius Julius Caesar hardly, but anyway, that's just part of the facts. And it, it's important to understand because family was so important to the original Roman Republic. But during the, the transition from Julius Caesar to Augustus Caesar to Tiberius Caesar, there was a total breakdown in the families. We see this historically. And, and the philosophers, who were always seeking the logos, realized that the breakdown of the family was due to the free bread and circuses offered by men like Augustus and Julius Caesar. He who ruined the Rome, ruined the Roman Republic, was he who spread amongst them first gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That is the greatest destroyer of liberties, according to philosophers, like Plutarch, like Polybius, and it ushers in tyranny. Well, who was the first to spread amongst you gifts, gratuities, and benefits by men who exercise authority, by the government? Well, in the United States, FDR has to take the cap off to that. It didn't start there, but he was really started spreading the gifts, gratuities, and benefits. LBJ just put more icing and sugar in the frosting of that cake built years before. But if you don't understand that history and you try to look at the present, you will not understand the present. So in order to understand the logos, you have to look at all these things. But even if I showed you every little aspect of that, you will not understand that unless you bring the light in to your own heart. And you don't have power over the light. Because it the light of the Holy Spirit listens where it will. So what you have to do is do what Christ said. Repent. That was the first thing. That's think differently than what you've been thinking. If you think you're going to make America great and continue to think the way you've been thinking for the last 50 to 100 years, like a social safety net by the government is an important thing and a good thing and we need to have that. Maybe, you know, you're going to be conservative. Just not quite so much of that. That's not repenting. You're thinking the same way. You're just not thinking quite as much the same way as you thought before. But you're still thinking the same way. And I'm saying, no, social welfare by men who exercise authority is going to damn you going to bind you, going to make you a human resource, going to curse your children because you're going the wrong direction. All roads lead to Rome and where Rome went. And all roads lead to the Libra Republica that Rome once was and that Jesus Christ preached or you're free from things public. But you're either going towards one direction or you're going the other. Repenting is going the other way. So you have to start going away from welfare by the state 
And the only way to do that is to create welfare by some other alternative means. And that's what Christ called out men to do. And he specifically explained to them in a parable that you will go to those who congregate with you and you will say, how much do you owe? By whatever figure. You say, well, you know, I owe 10% of what I earn. Because that's the way you interpret tithing. It's not correct, but it's the way you've maybe been taught. So you think you owe 10% of what you earn, and you have to give that to this ecclesia. But you can't afford 10%. Maybe you can only afford 8% or 5%, or maybe you only can afford a penny. The government of God, the ecclesia of God, has to count that as paid in full. They have to say, well, it's paid in full. Whatever you can afford. Well, that's charity. That's not taxation. And ultimately, that's what you need to understand is tithing is charity. And there's lots of charity mentioned in the New Testament. (laughs) I mean, how else is Paul and Barnabas bringing relief to those people having a dearth in another land far, far, far away? Is because people took up a collection and sent it. Almost every... Epistle of Paul is talking about that, you know, bringing stuff from Galatia to Corinth and Corinth to Ephesus, and, because they had an international system of social welfare not dependent upon the banks of the world, nor even upon, you know, the uh, Vatican Bank. <laughs> That's a I mentioned that because the the thing with the Pope saying they they need to get all their funds out of other banks and only in the Vatican Bank. <laughs> now, the the article associated with that story that was sent amongst the ministers of the church uh, is inadequate. It's deceptive. It doesn't give you the whole logos, the whole truth. But it's an interesting side note. You know, it also is. Well, I won't get into that. I'll, I'll keep that secret for the next show or something, but, uh, because we're running out of time. But the, the reality is that you need to understand the whole truth and you have to repent and go that other way. And the way that Jesus said to do that, he commanded his disciples, make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and fifties, and thousands in order to organize themselves in a system of social welfare through charity and through the hope that your neighbor will love you if you have a need because you're investing in the social bonds of a free society instead of the social bonds of a slave society, which is what you're now in, although you like to think you are free. So that was essential. And in that process, because it's a process, you are now on the road to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And hopefully, that if you start down that road and persevere, it's a word that Jesus uses, persevere into the end, that there will be a pillar of fire between you and all the armies of the Pharaoh. Because they're not going to give up. If you, if you start to go the other way, this is the greatest threat to the Great Reset, is that you might start understanding the logos of Christ and start to pursue the truth of the logos of Christ as it was from the beginning. 
but most churches aren't preaching this. So you, it really would be a good idea if you join the network. Instead of just chewing on all this meat we offer you every week. <laughs> you need to join the network and and start becoming a part of that journey because you're going to need one another. Now when I say joining the network, I'm I'm not saying that, you know, that you you sign up as a you know, I notice more and more of the different groups in order to get the whole story, you have to sign up for some sort of uh you know, uh, you know, pay in some amount and you know, become a member and you can do it for just a couple bucks, uh, you know, or they'll give you a three month free trial and then you'll have to start paying the full. Well, this is the church. We're not set up by Judas Iscariot, the keeper of the purse. We cast our bread upon the waters. Now, that being said, we don't give out everything. Over the air. We give it out. You know, we share a lot of things through the ministers and through those uh, and they share with you. Because it's not given to everybody to know all the strategies of God. Because there there are pigs out there that will rent us under. You know, swine. You know, that's what it says. Don't cast your pearls to swine. So that, uh, because the pigs may turn on you and rent you under. We don't, we don't want them to understand all the strategies of God. It's just not given to everybody to understand that. But it will be given to you. Yeah, we all have access to the Holy Spirit. But you have to, one of the hardest things that people have to realize is that they have been told a lie. I just, somebody who was canceled, I, I don't really advocate the individual or anything like that, but I thought it was interesting listening to the interview on Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, that uh, he was severely canceled. They came after everything, shut down his bank, shut down. He, they can do this with everybody. And they can do it with everybody at one time. But uh, they they completely shut him down and... Uh, because he was saying things that they didn't want to hear. They're just actually practicing. <laughs> but the reality is, is that you need to go another way. And they, they don't even know what that other way looks like. But if we become more noticed, we are what not we as individuals, but what we are espousing, if you were actually to repent and start seeking the kingdom of God, that is the greatest threat to the Great Reset. That is the greatest threat to the New World Order. Is that you actually awaken. But one of the things he was pointing out in this is during the whole COVID, he had an opinion about COVID, is that people have to realize that they were fooled. That they were deceived. And they don't want to do it. The cognitive dissonance. He must have mentioned it. We have an article. Cognitive dissonance. They don't want to see it. Well, the question is, do you want to see the logos? Do you want to see the truth? Well, that's what we're here to try to help you see. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, in the... Next half hour, let's take a look at uh, how this logos, how the kingdom of God, how the 
the uh, seeking that kingdom of God and his righteousness would pan out if you really wanted to know the truth. And like we said, the, the pathos has to deal with dealing with the emotion and the ethos has to do, do with, you know, dealing with the, the, the persona or the character of an individual that you hold in higher esteem than other individuals. And of course that leads to, uh, tyrants and, and, uh, other people exercising authority over you. One of the things that Rome, when it was dabbling with creating a government structure, uh, long after it had become a republic, but was finding sometimes the, 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 the populace falling short, the, the system of the republic falling short of what they needed or they thought they needed in order to survive in a hostile world, they, they began to centralize power in that government. See, originally the republic was not an indirect democracy. It was where every citizen in their family, they belonged to their family, which is why I bring up, you know, Gaius Julius Caesar. The family was Caesar. The, the tribe, the clan was Julius. The individual was Gaius. And by using all three of those names, he identified, I am Gaius from the, the clan of Julius, from the family of Caesar. And Caesar was that family. He belonged to that family. He did not belong to the Republic. He was in the Republic. But his rights came down to him through his family. And of course that was what the the promise of Jubilee is to return every man to his family and to his possessions and his possessions to him and his family. So that there was never, in a true republic, there could be no inheritance tax. Uh, because what belongs in your family belongs to your family and the family inherits it. Today, everybody inherits debt from the government because everybody belongs to the government. People say, well, we belong to Jesus. No, you belong to the government of the world. You're collateral for debt. Your children are collateral for debt. They didn't even spend on. When they're born, they're collateral for debt. And they tell you what the debt is. They have clocks on the internet where you can see the debt climbing every moment. <laughs> and they say that, you know, this is the debt of the United States and all the citizens within the United States and all the beneficiaries of the United States. And with every other country. All the other countries are in debt. And so that's where you've gone because all the other countries are in the bondage of Egypt again. You, the whole world has returned to the bondage of Egypt where the traveling merchants of the earth own everything. And you have the number to prove it. Because that number is how what you show in order to get the benefits. But you've been eating the dainties of these rulers for a hundred years. You've, you've developed an appetite for them and you did not put a knife to your throat. And you did not remain true to the way of Christ. You didn't follow the way of Christ operates by faith, hope, and charity again. The way of Caesar as the Son of God operates by force, fear, and fealty. 
which is why you've become merchandise through your covetous practices, which Peter said you would do. But And Jesus said there would be lots of people still saying, Lord, Lord, still saying I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, but not doing what Jesus said. They were not doers of the word. And Jesus said, not those who say, but the doers are the overcomers. But that's to understand that is to understand the logos. Logos. Reason. That is, in ancient Greek philosophy and in the controlling principles of the universe. Because God is a God of cause and effect. It's built into the law. That you need to honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long upon the land. That means to take care of your father and mother so that your days be long upon the land. But the Corbin of the Pharisees was a system whereby you had to pay into the treasury of the temple. And the temple took care of the daily ministration to your parents. And so you had to do no more ought for your parents because they could collect a social security check from the temple. That's what Jesus is saying. But that makes the word of God to none effect because it goes against the Ten Commandments. You're not taking care of your parents. The government is. And of course, you know, all the... When they, the statutes of Moses are just trying to explain those ten statements of God. And ten meaning the perfect number. That all of God's statements on those tablets of stone, which God wrote on because the stone is softer than the hearts of the Israelites, they wouldn't receive the, the laws on their heart, so he wrote them down on stone. But then when you read them to them, people don't get it. You know, like they, they think that keeping the Sabbath has to do with counting days. Keeping the Sabbath has to do with not going into debt. Not taking something before you paid for it. You pay for it as you go. And you could do that today. Take absolutely no loans out where you go into debt. You could actually do that today. You might need the seven that Jesus, that uh, Peter talks about and acts. You, you definitely need to sit down, as Jesus said, in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You definitely need to start caring about your neighbor as much as you care about yourself. But if you were doing that, you could have homes and businesses without going into debt. Now, I admit fully that that is a little tricky today when all you have in your pocket are debt notes. And most of the money you have isn't even in your pocket, but it's in a treasury that could shut down overnight. Uh, evidently the Vatican thinks it'll shut down before October. I'm actually going on a trip across the country <laughs> in September and won't be back till almost the 1st of October. And I should be afraid, right? Well, no. I should follow the Holy Spirit. I should follow the, the Logos that is written on my heart and upon my mind. But in order to do that, I have to make room for the Logos of God, for the Holy Spirit in my heart and my mind. And most of that room means that I had to, over the years, set down what I believed to be true 
and recognize that I was deceived. And like I said, that guy was talking about COVID. Most people still are clinging to the fact that, oh, no, but it was really serious. You know, I mean, it was a serious flu. I mean, look at all the people that died from it. And they don't, and you show them the actual data. And, and that data is still coming in. And they don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. But then I'm showing them what the Bible actually says. What the Logos actually means. And they don't want to hear that. I mean, Jesus did not come preaching the the church of God. He came preaching the kingdom of God. The government of God. And like I said, Rome... As they were moving away from that Libra Res Publica, which is where we get the word republic from a, a phrase, an idiom in the Latin that means free from things public, where everybody belonged to their family. They started moving away from that and they thought they needed stronger men in office with more power in order to meet the dangers of the world. Like you think you need policemen. To keep you safe on the streets. So you give power to policemen. And you probably do need policemen. Because you don't have the power in your heart. Because you haven't repented yet. And because you haven't been going the way of Christ. So I'm not for defunding the police. I'm for seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. After you repent and see that there's another way. They started thinking that we centralize power. And Polybius has that famous statement that I I quote. But Polybius, they did not have a social welfare state set up by Julius Caesar or by Augustus Caesar at the time Polybius said that. That that the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them from the lives of other people. And they institute the rule of force and violence, which is fear and force, and degenerate. Automatically, they begin to degenerate into what he calls perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king. Now, he said that long before there was a full-fledged welfare state in Rome. But he wasn't from Rome. He was from Corinth. Corinth was ahead of the game. They'd already done this in Corinth. And he saw that it degenerated Corinth and brought about their destruction. And he warned the Romans with his statement. He warned us. Even though he didn't know us, his warning has come down through the ages. Christ gave us the same warning. Proverbs gave us the same warning. All the prophets gave us the same warning. People read the Bible and miss it. They think it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through men who exercise authority. Even though Christ said it was not to be that way with us. You have to repent of that. You have to see that your pastor is not telling you the truth. He may be talking from the pulpit, from his ethos, from his position of being a scholar from the seminary. But he's lying. Or at least he's telling you lies. He was lied to too. I don't know the man's heart or his soul. I'm just saying what's true and what's not true. But you have to set down what is not true in order to pick up what is true. Of course, you don't even have to pick up what is true. It will come into you. That's the way light is. You don't pick up the light. The light comes in you. You have to start seeing we've gone the wrong way. Admit it. And with, you know, this is, what, this is the transition of Peter. 
He thought he had it all because he had it in his head. But he didn't have the light to stand for what was right. And he denied Christ. But he had to admit that he denied Christ. And you've been denying Christ while you've been going to church for decades, for centuries. We need to repent and go back the other way. And so, I have given them the word, John says in chapter 17. And the world hath hated them. What world? Hated them. Constitutional order and system of government. That's the word he uses there. Not the age hated them. But the world. The constitutional order and system of government. That's the definition in the concordance. I'm not making that up. I've hated them. Because they are not of the world. Why are they not of the world? Because they do not apply for the benefits of the world. And he says, even as I am not of the world. When he talked to Pontius Pilate. That's what he said. I am not. Of the world. I'm not of your constitutional order and system of government. I'm not of your Pax Romana. Roman peace. I come from another peace. Yeah. Is he the son of God? Yes. He is called the son of God. But he doesn't operate like Caesar. Today the modern Christian operates like Caesar. He covets his neighbor's goods through the exercise of force and fear. That's why he just hired twice as many IRS agents, armed IRS agents, to put the fear of the Son of God in you. <laughs> Not the Son of God, their Son of God. Their God who decides what is good and evil. There is a good and evil. It's not a matter of you deciding. It's a matter of you seeing. And in the light, you will see it is not right to covet your neighbor's goods. That you have a great deal to be repentant of. You need to turn around and start going that other way in order to find out how much more you may may need to be repentant of. Back to Rome. So they created offices of power and they tried to divide the separation of powers. You know, like there were going to be two proconsuls, never just one. Always, they, they wanted term limits. Didn't want them in for very long. These are all ways in which you can control the power you should have never given men who exercise authority. You see, because the reason they needed a Draco, the reason they needed a proconsul, was because they had already strayed from the ways of righteousness. They had already started creating the unrighteous mammon. If you want to get back to liberty under God, you have to go back to where you don't need the Dracos of the world. Where you don't need the proconsuls, the emperors, the imperator. Imperator just means commander-in-chief because he was the commander-in-chief of the military. He was actually called Principas Civitas, first citizen, president of Rome. It was also called anti-apotheosis. <laughs> I forgot my Greek for a second there. Apotheosis, which means originator of gods. And he was only called the originator of gods because he appointed all the imperial judges throughout the Roman Empire. Just the same as your president holds those same offices all in one. They separated them at the time of Augustus. Sometimes all three of them were held by Augustus. Sometimes all three of them were not held by Augustus. 
every 10 years he was elected imperator. But the last time he was elected, he didn't even bother taking the oath. And he said, I will not take an oath. I don't, do not intend to keep. <laughs> and you've had presidents who did not take the oath before the people. And you don't even know it. You, know, you may not even know which one I'm talking about. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because the problem is, is that you're giving these men power. If you're creating offices of power, men who seek power will seek those offices. And you can divide it as much as you want. It will eventually take you in the wrong direction. The, the power in the kingdom of God is in the hands of every individual and every individual belongs to his family. That's why the family gets to decide what they're going to contribute. But of course, if nothing but selfish families, you'll not, you will not succeed either. They have to actually do what Christ said, what the prophet said, is you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Moses said that. Jesus said that. And love, the same word for charity is the same word for love. And if you don't practice that love, practice that charity to take care of the needy of your society unspotted by the constitutional order and systems of the world you will not be free you will not live in light and the pillar of fire of God will not stand between you and destruction you have to see that plain church is not being the church you have to see that same that you accept Jesus as your personal Savior while you're still depending upon the world is not enough. Plus, maybe most important, why do you gather together? Because Jesus commanded that you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Well, he didn't actually command you to gather in the tens, hundreds, hundreds and thousands. He commanded that his disciples make you gather in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in order to be a part of the daily ministration of the church. Right now, you're a part of the daily ministration of the world. The men who exercise authority, one over the other. The constitutional orders and systems of government who take away from your neighbors so that you can have free stuff. That's what you're a part of. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you have to seek to be a part of a system that operates on love, not force. Operates on hope, not entitlements. That's a lot of repenting for most of you. And many of you that might be listening are already looking to change channels. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> or you're just standing there dumbfounded or wondering. But if you don't get this, you will not be free. And those who will not be free, there's nothing in store for them but damnation. And I'm not talking about after they die. I'm talking about why they die. Because the whole world is going through a transition. You're just on the wrong side of the river. You need to get on the right side of the river. and You can't even get across the river. And we'll call the river the Red Sea. You're on the wrong side of the Red Sea. It's going to take the breath of God to open up that sea to get you through. The parting of the Red Sea. My favorite story about that. Dealing with riots on the streets of San Francisco. The parting of the Red Sea. It is It is not my breath that does it. It is the Holy Spirit that does it. I know this. That was the sign that God gave me to know this. You need to know it. 
I'm just bearing witness. But you're not supposed to believe in me. That would be back to that ethos. But you need to believe in the Holy Spirit, that it exists. And I'm just bearing witness, it does exist, and it exists for you, but you have to find the real logos and not substitute the pathos, the emotion that you find in the modern church. The emotion you find in the in, in the modern politics. You know, you, you, you need to find the truth. Because only the truth, the logos, will set you free. But to find the truth about the world means you have to find the truth about yourself. And the truth about yourself is you've been going the wrong way. Religion is a duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to God is to do what he says. To do the will of the Father. And your duty to your fellow man is to love your neighbor as yourself. And to love your neighbor as yourself means to take care of your neighbor through charity, through love, not through force. So socialism isn't just a bad idea. It's the stake driven into the heart of righteousness. And when it comes out the other side, you don't have socialism anymore, you have communism. If you want to be emancipated from the bondage of the world that you're in today, you have to set your neighbor free. In order to set your neighbor free, you have to gather together with your neighbor in a free society that operates on love, not force. Not just say you love, but actually love. Actually care about one another. Even to the point where Galatians are contributing so that Corinthians might have enough. Which... If you understood history, Galatians were way poorer than the Corinthians. The Corinthians had, you know, an extremely lucrative society. Which is probably why they went the way of socialism first. You know, back even before when Polybius wasn't even born yet. Which brought in the corruption that got them utterly destroyed until there wasn't a single building left in Corinth. And then, if you know the history, then it was Caesar who's, who refinanced the building of Corinth. And it wasn't Corinthians who lived there, because they were all destroyed or sold off into slavery. It was people from all over the world. But again, it was this affluent place, because of its strategic location, which we've talked about before. America has been an affluent place. But in the time of affluence... It did not strengthen the poor. It weakened them. How did it weaken them? With the great society and the New Deal. It destroyed the families. It went from 3% single parent families to 70 some percent single parent families. And with that, Minneapolis became the hijacking, uh, car hijacking capital of the world. <laughs> with the riots in the streets. Because the people had been turned into perfect savages. Because they became accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others and instituting the rule of force and violence through a social welfare system based on men who exercise authority. Absolutely the reverse of what Christ taught right there in the New Testament. Yet the whole town is full of people calling themselves the church. People calling themselves Christians. 
followers of Christ doing the exact opposite of Christ. But of course, the Pharisees called themselves followers of Moses, but Jesus said they don't even know Moses. Early Israel was much different than what the Pharisees were doing. Early Israel had their cities of refuge. Early Israel, the juries of the early Israel, which were the fam- ten families come together and their minister, that's eleven, and his minister, that's twelve. The heads of families, the elders of families were the juries of their local congregation. They even needed cities of refuge. They had the right to decide fact and law, but they needed cities of refuge. We have a link on our logos page so you can find out what that means. But we're out of time, so join the network. Find out what they haven't been telling you. Find out the truth before it's too late. Until then, peace upon your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.